Dun, 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 dun. Welcome back to Clout Watch. Uh, here we are trying to get as much clout as possible. Clout takes the form, just to recap for those of you just joining, in Apple Podcast Reviews. The more Apple Podcast Reviews, the more clout we have. The more clout we have, the bigger guests we get. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Let's go now to some of the reviews you, the ideas digesters out there in podcast land, uh, BA Footballer gives it five stars. Thank you very much, BA Footballer. Uh, yeah, BA Footballer says, Gold. This podcast is epistemological gold. I'll Google that one after I read this. Open conversations asking questions from a range of theoretical perspectives with a light hearted approach underpinning the whole process. Whew. Jeez, makes it sound smarter than maybe I've intended. Doesn't shy away from stigmatized ideas just gets in there and asks the questions we're asking in our heads. Plus the host listens. Oh, who me? Oh, thanks so much. Truly listens and then comments and paraphrases to show understanding. Wicked potty exclamation mark. Wow. Every time I read these reviews, I've, I've honestly never seen better podcast reviews on any podcast uh, better than the ones you are all leaving here. So thank you so much to so many of you who are firing through the Apple podcast reviews. The clout drive is still going. We are just short of a hundred. Uh, I did say our goal was two fifty. I still think we can get there looking at my listenership numbers. I know it might, you know, take a few seconds, but it would be muchly appreciated. And hopefully it will result in you being able to engage with some challenging ideas from those authors, Instagrammers, influencers, and public figures that, you know, won't come on the show because they look down their noses on the lack of clout. But the clout train is rising. Do trains rise? I don't know. Thanks for all your support and joining the journey. And all that being said, enjoy this episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast where, well, I should say the podcast practice, or is it the live podcast practice, where we break down the ideas that divide us to try and find the humanity that I believe connects everybody, even if you disagree with them, or if you agree with them. My name's Conrad, and yes, we are recording live on Instagram, so if you, if you want to tune in, you can tune in live when we record these, send through some questions, and be a part of the show that way. And if you want to turn it into some level of practice, so it's not just a passive listen where you, you just sit there by yourself with no friends and go, hmm, good idea. If you want to take it to that next level, uh, there's three things that you can do. The first of which you're already doing it, so you might as well do the rest. Listen to the episode that triggers you the most. Find that clickbait that just seems so outrageous and then just click it and listen to it. And the second thing you can do is as you're listening, if you think you... There, I've missed a question or you'd like to ask another question, post it on an Instagram post being like, oh, I wish you'd ask this because I missed questions. What did I miss? Tell me what I missed. And three, responds, shoot through a DM. What did it make you think? Did it help you? Did it not? Do you understand that perspective now? Do you not? 
Up to you. Up to you. Uh, clickbait for today. For today's episode. Here we go. Christian. Oh, I'm hearing the Christians getting triggered. Christian purity culture robbed me. Did it have a gun? I don't know. But it robbed me. Who is the me? New friend of the show, Blair. Blair, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Conrad. It's it's good to have you here, and we've we've started off with some clickbait on Christian purity culture robbed me. Now, before we go to the nuance on like, wow, what's going on there? Um, I've I've now I think I've almost named a segment. It hasn't dialed in yet, um, but I think I've got a name for it, and it I've involved the uh, the friends of the show tuning in on Instagram. And what I do, and you probably saw it, I put up your image, and I think it linked your Instagram there, and so they could have a sneaky yeah. peek through. And I asked for their assumptions, because we all do it. We all judge people. We all make assumptions. But more often than not, we run away with our assumptions, and we, we don't even check to see if they're correct or not. So this section, I think I've, I'm close to a name. I'm cool with half of it. I'm working on the second half. I think I'm going to call it Confessions from the Armchair. You know, everyone's sitting back in their yeah. armchair making assumptions, firing away. But we're confessing them because, let's face it, we all make assumptions. So, Blair, some people made some assumptions about you. All right, hit me. Okay, okay. So, you, you, you're familiar with the game. It's a yes or no. When we make assumptions, it's only two little boxes. And we're gonna, you get to confirm or deny, all right? All right. Nu- nuance later. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I sense an accent. And I know the answer to this, but I'm just going to pretend it's either it's either American or Canadian. But I already know the answer to this, so it's not really an assumption. You are Canadian, so therefore you must obviously be a super friendly guy. Yeah, yeah. Every every Canadian for I sure. meet for sure, bud. <laughs> for sure, bud. Hey, want to play some <laughs> hockey? I got I got my stick in the car. Oh yeah, don't forget it's Tim Hortonsy. Oh, see, that's what I just say to Canadians, just to make them feel at home. Oh, yeah, you exactly. Know, I'll, I'll confess uh, what I confess to most Canadians, and they laugh at me every time. But I feel like if I was born in Canada, I feel like I'd be a great hockey player. Like, I've never played in my life. Yeah. But boy, I yeah. feel like it's in my veins. I don't know why. I can see that. I, yeah, you, I got the I got the lettuce that'll come out the bottom of the helmet. Oh, oh yeah. You know about <laughs> lettuce. You know about lettuce. <laughs> the ultimate Canadian swag. Yes, yes. Hey, you don't hey, have style we're... unless you have like six inches of just... Nice out mullet out, out the hat. back of the... That, yeah. yeah, so for those listening to me, like, what the hell is lettuce? I was teaching with some Canadians in, in China and they'd always talk about the lettuce when a hockey player puts on their helmet. They got the little like mullet dropping out the back of their helmet and they'd call it like, yeah. the lettuce out the back there and it was... You got mad respect, so... Sorry, I'm just bonding with I'm just bonding with Canadians because I, f- I like Canadians. Let's just face it. That's my assumptions there. Um, all right, back back to back to it. Let let's hit some of the ones that came through on Instagram uh, with the title "Christian Purity Culture Rob Me." Okay, so he's probably a Christian. Uh, let's go with you've got to be the most popular right now, at least in the news. Christian today, evangelical. You've got to be evangelical. Or have been? Have been. Yeah. So we got the right denomination, evangelical. Ding, ding. Well, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that simple. I have a spattering of different traditions. Oh. Involved in, but, okay. Yeah. So one of them was? Yes. 
Okay. Go a yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, good. Um, that is, yeah, that's the headline Christian denomination these days. That probably thanks to their Trump support. Maybe that really put them on the map. Um, yeah. Okay. So growing up evangelical then, uh, you your parents mustn't have talked about sex at all. Uh, no. No. Okay. I, I always do this where I get confused because I asked them mustn't. So they oh, did yeah. talk about sex or didn't so talk did, about sex? They did talk about sex. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that, I would say yeah. no. Okay. All right. Right. So, all right. Christ, Christianity robbed you in some sense of the word. So you now must be like an angry atheist blaming religion now. No. No. Okay. Damn. I need to get one of those on. That'd be nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, you've you've now like thrown all the rules out just just to have more sex. You're like, I'm done with this. I want sex. <laughs> rules. Religion. Get out of here. Uh, no. No. Okay. So then, okay, if that didn't happen, then you must have, and I saw this trend. So I feel like this is a pretty good assumption by someone from the armchair on Instagram. Uh, yeah. You, you must have got married at a young age purely to have sex. No. No. I'm mysterious. <laughs> okay. Uh, was there another reason? So married or not married? Single. Yeah. Single. Oh, it breaks it, breaks it, all these things. And, yeah. uh. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I guess that's all the assumptions that, that, that came, that came through on that one. Uh, I suppose over to you with the mm. clickbait Christian purity culture rolled me, I know we're probably going to end up, um, somewhere else, but this is, I guess, an interesting starting point when, yeah. uh, we were chatting over, over the Instagram DMS, you had a, like a really interesting story and take from, Christian purity culture, and we have we've been looking at, I suppose, sexuality and what it's perceived like, at least in Christianity, and perhaps in like sex in, in um, secularism with commodification of sex itself. So exploring this idea of like purity culture, and and robbing you, you hmm. grew up within purity culture. Then where where do you where do you kind of begin this? Yeah, so I think it all it all really starts with a foundation of the sort of evangelical gospel that I was taught from a young age. That so your parents were evangelical? Basically, it's, okay, so I'll give some background. My yeah. parents were like, kind of like hippie, <laughs> exploring spirituality, moved to this okay. small hippie town in the middle of British Columbia in Canada. It's like the weed capital of Canada. It's one of those places, new age. And basically during that time, my mom kind of, became a Christian. And, and so she was basically just trying to figure it out. So she was just influenced by a number of different communities and different people. So it was kind of like through her, I, you know, she got me involved in different Christian programs, which she didn't really know what was involved with a lot of them because she mm. didn't have a background with that stuff. Like new, so just, new to religion. Yeah. Like she grew up Lutheran or whatever, but it was more of just a traditional thing, like not a practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when she had kids, it was like she had just, you know, found Jesus or whatever. And she was like, Jesus is great. Jesus is cool. It's all about freedom and love and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she puts her kids in, in church programs, not knowing what they're going to indoctrinate with, Interesting. you know. Interesting. So, so when, just you know, to find yeah. out a little bit more about you, 
and your family background, what what did your parents do for work and things like that? Um, well, my mom was trained as a social worker, um, uh-huh. but she kind of stopped doing that after kids. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a dental hygienist. When I was, a, he didn't become a Christian until I was like eight years old. He was an atheist up until oh. then. Yeah. And then became a Christian. Yeah. And is, would you, are they still evangelical or Christian? They, they've got, gone on their own journey, actually. Like, huh. it's been pretty cool because they started, you know, with that kind of entry level, just mainline sort of vibe and then went into some more charismatic stuff and like healing ministry and that sort of thing. Like, uh-huh. yeah, a lot of that involved, you know, there's demon around every bush. So I got that <laughs> part of my story, too, like being okay. paranoid about demons. Okay. Um, yeah. And now they're they've kind of just gone through their own deconstruction a little bit, but have ended up more in just the fact that God is love and like a father, period, and have just gotten rid of okay. all the evangelical rappy stuff. Interesting. Interesting. So. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I, I got you off, off track there as you're kind of talking yeah. about like your your mom came into evangelicalism and then that's kind of, that's your genesis i suppose you you grew up like going to sunday school and and learning yeah. about like a what a literal hell and stuff like that yeah somewhat i mean like the church i went to sunday school in was a presbyterian church um that had gone through a revival in the 1970s so they're like a traditional church but they're like flag wavers and you know lo- love to make a bit of a, a bit of a noise um, so flag wavers, <laughs> what's, what's a flag waver? You know, you, you got the, the guitar playing, you know, the, the bands pumping, you got people with oh, these colorful skinny flags. jeans, Christianity. Oh yeah. yeah like Hillsong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not quite a bit more oh. like a bit more old school still, but you know. not as cool as Hillsong. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Not as flash. Yeah. Um, but then it was more in my the beginning of my teen years, I started going to a youth group at an evangelical church, and that was really influential. Uh-huh. And, um, but I, th- I think that stuff about hell really got ingrained to me, like at different like church camps and stuff when I was maybe like five or something. And we had these, you know, gospel presentations, and we'd have like these pictures, you know, or like we were given this like five point gospel glove. It was like, here is your heart. And it's like black and covered in tar. And it's like, oh, wow. And here's, what, here's where you're going, fiery pit. Whoa. Here's Jesus' sacrifice. The blood covers over. And then the fifth one is like, and now here's your heart. It's white Whoa. and pure as well. So oh, from that, wow. from a young age, that instilled in me like my, or like, deepest assumption about humanity and reality is that humanity is yeah it's you're a piece of shit essentially and the only reason you can be okay and acceptable before the ground of being is Mm -hmm. to be covered over by this umbrella of the blood of jesus you know and so and what did you take that that phrase to mean when you heard blood of jesus as a kid, you just kind of take the story, I guess. Um, you know, you hear the story, like Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. Um, so you could be no longer in separation from God because he couldn't look on our ugliness, whatever. So I just, yeah. I, I understood the metaphor, I think. Of, oh, okay. Of the whole, like, Jesus thing. You know, okay. I was a smart kid, but yeah, 
but just that I, it was that idea that I needed something conditional to make me okay and make me presentable. And, uh-huh. and I was born with that, you know, total depravity or whatever. Yes. That, that really, you um, are inherently terrible as a, yeah, exactly. as a, as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bring me to the purity culture part that you, that you, I guess I like identified with, um, and, and your journey and how that played into it. Yeah. I mean, because my parents came from a pretty like, you know, hippie liberal background, they did do a decent job of introducing the idea to me. But then of course, for anyone, it's a bit awkward, you know, to yes. go there with their kids. You do not want to talk to your mom and dad about <laughs> sex. That's what friends are for. My friend, Steve, he showed me some pictures and I get it. I get yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. So it was, they, I think they did an all right job, but it was then the fact that I was kind of introduced to the even, evangelical narrative on the thing for like pretty early from it being a young teenager, going to youth group mm-hmm. and stuff. And the whole idea is that like any sort of like sexual attraction or um, sexual thoughts and that sort of thing is like impure and lustful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's like you're trained from like the age that you're really starting to develop in puberty and growing into your sexuality, you're starting to get like, you know, your hormones are rushing and you're getting really horny all the time. And like, every time you do, you're like, Oh, I'm sinning before a Holy God. The whole idea is like, Tina walks sin- past. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, that's what it's like. You're taught to, you know, bounce your eyes and like look away and you know, uh-huh. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not sin against God, that sort of thing. And it's like And how old are you like thinking those words like covenant against God I'm sinning? Like I'll be like well, fourteen or something? fourteen ish. A big uh-huh. a big influence there was kind of Christian pop culture and, and Christian music. Yes. That was part of it. Just you know, people are really convinced about this whole thing that our, our flesh is dirty and, and it's corrupt and we need to, you know, die daily and kill the flesh and to constantly be in this effort to not be sexual or think sexually or in all these things. And it just keeps you in this shame cycle of like, oh, I can never, I can never get past this. You know, I suck even more. And then it's just this, you know, um, round and round sort of thing. Yeah, and- it is. Um, it. The, the interesting thing to me is, and I guess it's why we're exploring the idea of sexuality, especially within religion, is because it seems to be like a really, like almost the centerpiece of a lot of other things. Because you can, you can understand, at least theoretically, going, okay, if you have that doctrine of total human depravity, like I'm a piece of shit human being person, yeah. and I... Um, I'm unworthy. You can kind of think that, but you can also go through life being like, well, I'm doing a pretty good job. I haven't stolen from anybody. Oh, I, I apologize for lying. So I'm, you know, you can feel like you're okay, but, yeah. but sexuality brings to the front this, what, what I'm hearing you describe there is this like ever present reality of shame. Because if yep. you're desiring a girl or a guy, if you're, if you're looking on and going, oh, like I'm attracted to them that attractiveness it sounds like has is being trained to go you see that that is your sinful nature yeah and exactly. it and it 
on this on this sexual level it feels like a like it's truly who you are in this sense of being like i can't stop this like oh, i'm bouncing my eyes i'm looking away oh no yeah. i thought this like now my thoughts are like super like oh no <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and i mean that's really summed up by the fact like thankfully i never had to read all this book but my dad as, in his early days of being a christian he tried to read me uh this book called um, preparing your son for every young man's battle <laughs> and like the that phrase every young man's battle just yeah. says it all like here's your book, natural humanity have, um did that book have a surfer on it on the front uh there was a few different ones i think it was just okay. some the main one was like some dude just walking down the street like uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Oh, there's a woman. Like that, <laughs> like, like that meme of the guy with his girlfriend. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just that idea that you know this this thing so that's so intimately inherent to our humanity and a part of us that you're told that that's a bloody battle. You know, mm. that's just and it just kind of that kind of messes you up psychologically because so you don't know anything different, really. How how would they like what kind of scenarios would you be in that would kind of show show this playing out as you as you grew up mostly in the evangelical world yeah i think i just i noticed it in myself and and in other people like at youth group we'd have these like confession sessions you know oh be, all the boys would get around and be like all right it's boy time it's so boy we're time. all gonna confess guys i struggle with masturbating and it's like <laughs> now i just be like yeah it is a real struggle a real tug of war but um, <laughs> but like it's back not, then not there anymore. <laughs> yeah. back then everyone's just like oh i struggle with this oh it's so bad lord for lord forgive me help us to like get rid of these sins and give us blinders on our eyes and all this wow. stuff and it's just this culture of like because we have this idea of this like a holy god right a perfect god that can't come near sin then that's like the undergirding sort of reality there that you approach god and like you hear like god is forgiving god has forgiven us but because he's like wrathful underneath all that stuff you never really get past that and there's always this like mm -hmm. Oh, if only I could accept that God has forgiven me and accepted me. And it's like, uh -huh. um, but when you start at that place where God has rejected humanity because of their ugliness and their sin, then that never really works. And people never really get over that. Okay. And as you, as you grew up in this, in this setting, what were some of the things was there anything else like that that you think this purity culture told you or taught you in relation to like relationships or um, your own sexuality or how to treat women? Like, I mean, yeah. he, he, the question might be, like, yeah, yeah, take see see where that goes. Well, here's the thing, like. Again, it's it's a it's a nuanced thing because I would say there's some some admirable ad, admirable values that it it did give me, like you know thinking about respecting women and treating them mm -hmm. as human beings. 
Yeah. But then I think that just goes too far um, in being. So talk, yeah, talk to me about that. Yeah. Well, because, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you've got like really exploitative pornography and stuff. And like, that's just, just bad. And then on the other side, you've just got, I'm attracted to this woman. And so because I think it's a reactionary thing is that they don't want people being like this extreme objectification. So they kind of overcompensate, I think. And what that does is kind of, um, do that thing where it, um, you know, takes a natural desire in a, in a beautiful natural human thing and, and twists it and tells you it's, it's evil and it's ugly. Um, so yeah. So, so at its best, it, it teaches some level of respect, some level of, I guess what it might look like to have a sexual respectful relationship, not commodifying women. Cause I guess that was, that's yeah. the critique I often hear of that bolsters the purity culture. And it's, and mm-hmm. it's probably a fair one by the sounds of it. That's like, yeah. you look at the hypersexualization and commodification of women's bodies. And now we're like, yeah. nah, equal rights. And so we go, yep, fair enough. Chris Hemsworth, you're equally a commodity now. Look at your yeah. body. Like we've yeah. now just kind of equally commodified the male's form as well. And we're calling that equality and freedom. And so I feel like on some level, the critique that comes from purity culture is like, well, women aren't objects. Women aren't a commodity. They're not something to be like sexuality isn't something to be sold or to bolster up another product. But then I guess what I'm exploring and hearing from you is that it, it kind of overcompensates in, yeah. in some respects. Like what has, what has been your experience with some of the ways that you think it's been like an overreach that's caused harm to you? Um, I think it's just kind of instilled kind of a, um, a fear of engaging in any relationships really. And I think that's a combination between of my personality being kind of, you know, introverted and I just kind of do my own thing, but then just kind of being scared of going there because there's such fear of like doing anything sexual that it just feels wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of set me back and gave me a bit of a handicap. And over, over the last few years after going, going through deconstruction, I've, I, I couldn't have, it would have been like pretty rough to, to kind of just jump into things all of a sudden. So it's been a few years of like taking small steps and, and embracing my, my humanity and my sexuality. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what it did. It, it really kind of set me back a little bit. Um, what, you know. what was it with your connecting this, some of the unhelpful parts that you found within your evangelical upbringing and this purity culture that I guess was maybe just probably contributed to, I guess, a sense of non-self-acceptance, a sense of the shame cycle. What was the point of beginning to unravel some of these ideas? What was, as you're going through your journey through growing up evangelical, what did your, I suppose, belief journey look like? 
Yeah, well, I guess it was very, very much growing up. You just kind of take on the party line of the evangelical church and you just kind of like have that locked in mentally and you're very just like fundamental about it. You're like, you know, I'm, I'm the really saved. certain. Yeah, you're really certain. I'm saved. Everyone else out there is going to hell. And, you know, everyone else there out there is deceived and, you know, non-Christians are, you know, they're bad influences and they're all evil. And that that's the mentality, you know, because you've got this, you know, we're in a bubble and we're we're the saved club. And there was there was a point towards my late teens where I, teens I started thinking like, man, that's not it. Like, why do we think about people as the church and not the church? You know, aren't we just people? And so that that those questions really started to kind of bubble up in me, I guess. And um, and I started to have some like experiences myself with with God, I guess, and kind of experiencing that in a way that didn't really line up with a lot of the theology I'd been taught, you know? Um, what was, what like, what did those experiences well, like were involved? Well, just ex- actually experiencing God as love, you know? Um, and and not, not this God who requires you to, like, you know, have to ask for forgiveness for sins before you can continue to pray to him, you know, that sort of thing. It was like, I just felt safe and accepted, you know? And so I don't, I don't think consciously I knew that was happening, but it, mm-hmm. this kind of like started this thing that was formulating, I guess. Um, and I just got to the point where I, I was just kind of done with that whole mentality of the us and them thing. And, but yet at the same time, I'd had these um, experiences with God, I guess. And I just didn't really know what to do with that. So when you say experiences I, with God, yeah. What do you what do you how would you describe that to somebody? Yeah. Well, I mean, now like I'm saying this in retrospect, like I don't really know how to define that now. <laughs> um yeah, but it'd okay. be something like you know being at, at a worship time or something and and feeling something transcendent or um yeah. You know, like physically yeah, in your body type. Yeah, physically something. and emotionally and uh stuff like perf- having prophetic words and that sort of thing that really kind of like hit deep. It's- so it, it, it sounds like within the culture that teaches, we have all the answers. They are wrong. You are a mm-hmm. horrible person. I'm like, I'm hearing experiences, even as you hold those beliefs, feelings mm-hmm that seem to contradict those intellectual ideas. Yeah. But at that point, I I didn't really make that connection on an intellectual level. It was kind of like, oh, this is cool. And it kind of lines up with the evangelical story of like God is love and accepts yeah. you and has forgiven you and all this stuff. So I didn't really think about that. But when I was around um, 19, I kind of came to a crossroads and I was like, you know, either I'm going to really give this Christian thing a go and just go all in, or uh, I'm just going to throw in the towel. So um, at that point I decided to sign up for YWAM mm-hmm. and uh, went to Australia and um, yes. <laughs> Thanks. So what? Uh, um, describe YWAM just so uh, yeah. like, I'm only vaguely familiar. 
Right. So it's a global uh, volunteer uh, missions organization, um, primarily made up of young people. YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission. And um, a lot of people for, um, just primarily go to do their six-month training school at the beginning, which is like a discipleship, um, a mixture of, you know, talk, talking on the Bible and learning about uh, like the concept of missions and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. um, also having a lot of sort of experiential teaching about hearing God and that sort of thing. So I just, I just had had a lot of friends who had done that. So I decided, Hey, I'm just going to give this a go um, because I had um, done a short course in, in Canada that was um, put on by some YWAM people. And I was like, I had some cool experiences there. And I read this book that was like, um, talk, it was called Radical by David Platt. And um, it was just talking about how you're not a real follower of Jesus unless you're like going to prison and, you know, just <laughs> being beheaded and all this stuff. And I was oh, like, geez. all right, I'm going to be radical, radical for Jesus because it's all going to be okay. worth it. Yeah. So, yeah, so I did this YWAM thing. And um, again, it was that same sort of process there where I started having these, these realizations as I had more experiences with God, like different visions and stuff, like some crazy stuff that just reshaped my, my vision of what God was like. And also so like having dreams of, or like waking, like yeah, daily, kind of like eyes closed, eyes closed sort of vision, visuals sort of thing. Without, uh, without assistance from some external substance no no mushies no yeah. no uh, no lsd <laughs> yeah yeah okay yeah yeah and at the same time i'm getting like teaching on the bible and theology that i've basically never heard before you know just hearing one of the big statements i heard on my on my initial school there was you know jesus didn't die to forgive your sins he came to bring you back to the father and that was a, so for me, I mean, that was an impactful statement. Describe like the difference for me and why that changed things for you. Cause I think it was before like Jesus, the, the function of Jesus coming to die on the cross was to like cover over your filth. So God could look at you that whole penal substitution model. But I hadn't heard anything different until then. Like that's what I was just, that was my assumption of what the gospel was, was, yes. you know, substitution We're we're ugly. So Jesus function is to come and die for your sins and be the sacrifice. Right. And, but, and YWAM had a different take on that. Yeah. It was like, you know, God's like a father who's, he's been separated from his children and, he, and he's like crying out to be with them. And so he comes in the form of, of Jesus to reconcile us to him instead of this like raging monster being, you know, like needing some, some sort of barrier in the way. Right. You know? Okay. So what did that change for you? I think it just enabled me to open up more to God and it just, and just progress more on that journey of, of kind of reframing what I, how I saw faith and, and God in general. Um, so that was, that was just like a, that was an, an initial sort of step, and it it's just really accelerated since then, I guess. Um, 
as I uh, did more reading and, and read commentary from, you know, guys like Baxter Kruger and Paul Young and um, um, Brian Zond and those kind of guys who kind of have a, a different take on things. Yes. <clears throat> but um, yeah, it got to the point where I started understanding the freedom and the um, unconditional love of God so much that even within the YWAM context, I started to see limitations. YWAM's cool because it's a bunch of young people who are stoked on faith or whatever, and it's a really sort of exciting environment. And But they're so, you know, they're so charismatic about it that sometimes they lose touch with some things. Like, they're very convinced that being a missionary, going and evangelizing to the world is like the way to follow Jesus. Like this idea that, you know, everything that you, you are given as a person, everything that you love basically is, can be an idol that you have to lay down before Jesus in this idea of Lordship. So it's like, you're, you're constantly waiting for a word from God to go, um, you know, to, some random country and spread the gospel. Um, and so I just felt like really pressured, like I had to, <clears throat> had to do that. And um, I was like this, this star Christian, you know, like I, I had to kind of put on this face of like, I'm a missionary. I'm like, I'm going out and doing all this stuff for the gospel. And it kind of got to the point where I was like, like this, this tension in me started building where I was like, I don't, I don't think this is me, you know, like if, if following Jesus and living like the best path is this narrow set of things of like, you know, committing to not really earn an income for your whole life and volunteer and basically ask people for money to go, go travel and stuff. I was like, that seems a bit, bit sus there. And then like very just, narrow. You have yeah, to like, very, kind of the only way. Yeah, very narrow. And just like the whole whole thing is like I didn't actually like evangelizing to people. You know, I had this I had this moment where I was during in a um, evangelism training session and we went out and with our students when I was staffing one of these schools and I approached this dude and I was I said this thing like, you know, just so you know, like God sees your pain and I like but it was just, and he just looked at me, he's like, no, thanks, mate. And he just like hopped in his car and drove away. And I was like, so this was Newcastle. Uh, yeah, this is Newey. Oh, uh, yeah, Newey. <laughs> like, man, I've got to serve. <laughs> no, thanks, mate. Oh, yeah. Man. Okay. So I was just like, and what did, that was, well, yeah, what that was that? rough. And, and also, I just start, started noticing like some of the things that people were being sent home for or disciplined for, like, you know, we were allowed to drink alcohol as staff off of the, the campus. But, you know, when you're a grown-ass man and you're not allowed to have a beer in your fridge where you live, it gets a little bit old after a while. Right. You know? So, so there, or, wasn't, you, you, there wasn't a rule against drink. Like, alcohol was okay, I suppose, in moderation is the caveat yeah. there. But you couldn't have it at home. Yeah, exactly. Because I lived in like this community house, like okay. hostel sort of thing. Yeah. And just kind of living in that environment was really tough because it's basically like living at a church youth group. 
24-7 for years. Um, you know, Describe that for me. Yeah. You know, like if you want to hang out with people, it's very hard because there's not any really good common spaces. And everyone has, has a room or whatever with a couch and a TV and it's, it's pretty chill. But if you want to have a girl in there or even a couple girls in there, like that's not okay. You know, just to hang out, just to hang out. Yeah. You know, even with the door open, you know, and it got to the point where like, you know, people were so obsessed with this rule that like, it was almost like a game, like a dare thing where people would like try to push guys into girls rooms or like, they'd like freak out if their toe touched the inside of the room or something. Really? And then was there like heavy disciplinary action if, if someone was hanging out with a girl? Yeah, there there could be, yeah. And it was it was stuff like you know, especially especially with students that are arriving there, you know. They're they're fresh out of high school and a lot of them are kind of American evangelicals. They're stoked to go, you know, fully serve the Lord. And then they arrive there and it's like okay, here's the rule. You can't get into any relationships this you know, this season for 6 months during So you school. couldn't date you couldn't date anybody either. No. I mean, that's probably a lot of why I'm single right now. There's a lot of girls coming through, but I couldn't date them. <laughs> that's the some level of torture for, for, yeah. for a kid fresh out of high school, especially uh, doing something like YWAM where you're like, there are girls everywhere. Yeah, I know. They call it young women after men, but I, I uh, had a better <laughs> metaphor. Ever been to a sushi train? Yeah. So it's like, Walking to uh, walking into a sushi train without any money. <laughs> you sit down at the bar stool. Oh man, that'd that's, be nice. That's a tasty sashimi. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, you just you just have to. Yeah, yeah, but but anyway, it was like on several occasions, people have just gotten students gotten so much trouble, staff gotten so much trouble for forming forming relationships with the students oh. or. You know, people were sent home for kissing or even like right when I started staff, I was basically warned because um, at the end of my school, I had started talking to this chick who was a student at the time. I wasn't on staff. I was just hanging out there. But apparently that was a that was a no, no. Well, she couldn't even talk to you. Well, yeah, like we were talking together and like it was like late into the night. We're like just in the common room and like you know, having, it was one of those things where we're connecting and stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, it, at, towards the end of it, it got brought up. It was like, yeah, we kind of like each other a bit. Um, yeah. But then it was like, you know, I get you're on the school. So I, I was back in Canada um, right before I came back to Australia to start staff there. And I got a Skype call saying like, there's been some rumors that you asked this student out. And I was like, so are you Ugh. still part of YWAM at the moment? Like no, no, I've been gone for about a year and a I bit. I mean, sorry, at, at oh, this at moment point. when you get this yeah. call. Well, I was like in between, so I wasn't like officially part of any YWAM thing, but I was getting, I was gearing up to come back on staff there. You're about to go again, yeah. Yeah, and so I was kind of in the, this intimidated space where I was like, oh, these authority figures are saying that that's not okay. Like, I just got to kind of submit to that. Um, wow, because I didn't really know any different because like that's how i'd kind of been conditioned by purity culture i guess because you have these these leaders telling you like don't do this stuff this is not okay and so i kind of had that that lack of a backbone there to kind of recognize that 
Right. Um, so when they said you were talking to this girl and, well, rumor has it, you know, you indicated more than a friendship. Yeah. That is, like, did they give any reason for it or anything like that? If Or no, would they just really. say, you just... Yeah, I mean, the whole idea behind it is that, like, they want people to focus on God for six yeah. months. It's like, um, as, like, I don't understand how that's a distraction from God. You know, if you have this kind of dualistic, separate view of God, then relationships are going to be a, you know, a distraction. But, yeah, you know I suppose, I mean? yeah, it's sounding like there is a specific definition of God and yeah. it would be, it would be nice to get one of these YWAM guys in to see what, um, what they might say about it, but yeah, it, it is, it seems like this picture of God to be, because there's obviously different operating definitions. And so I'm trying to expose one of the definitions that, that you were kind of being handed about God being like service to God only looks like this mm-hmm. and uh, relationships and maybe, and once again, maybe as we spell it out, we stop describing what, say, the people of YWAM might be thinking. They might be like, no, 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 we don't agree with that entirely. But it's like, I'm also pulling out what you were handed by these rules, by when you're trying to police, like, some level of intimacy, I suppose, yeah. to this level where it's like there's nowhere to draw a clean line. And it seems like in the in the interest of coming down on the right side, they go so far to go yeah. even hanging out past nine o'clock and then shut, like being like, oh, I think you're actually a really interesting person and I'd like to hang out with you more. Yeah. That seems to be they're like as like they've drawn the line super far in one direction. But that line, I suppose, has always been existent in existence for you growing up. Like yeah. it's sounding like yeah. there was no modeling of here is what healthy relationship looks like. Cause we've, we've described that. It sounds like you're saying like there, there are benefits to, to this, you know, like you, yeah. there's the avoidance of objectification, commodification of women, but then there's also no, like, how do you as a teenager and a young adult navigate relationships now? Like, what kind of impact do you think those experiences and that world growing up has had on you now? Well, I think it's it has caused me to be, like, less flippant about sexuality. So that's why yes. I haven't, like, become, like, the Tinder special overnight, you know? <laughs> Tinder <laughs> special. All right, I was going to put that in the assumption being, like, you're, you're now just swiping hard on Tinder. Just pew, 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 pew. <laughs> I need some rub eight five three five from swapping so much. <laughs> That's right. Switch it up, man. Switch it up. Yeah. Um, no, I think I'm. I'm just still tossing up. Like, of course, it's it's been somewhat damaging, but at the same time, it it brought a certain amount of depth and maturity. Like having walked yeah, okay. through that and having to come out of it. I I think I see that generally with my my journey, you know, as a whole. Yeah, that, you know, I kind of had the angry phase of like, you know, I've been robbed and stuff. And in yeah. some ways, like I've been given some sort of handicap 
but it also allows it gives me the what blessing kind of, of being able to what kind of handicap are you describing when you if in that phase when you're like it robbed me to the clickbait it's like purity culture robbed me what would you say it robbed you of when you think of it like that um well just just life experience i guess you know um feeling a bit left out you know having i've never actually like been in a relationship because of you know the the kind of cycle i was in um in my teens and i was just kind of just like afraid to and intimidated to talk to women and go there yeah and then and then i went to ywam and it's like i wanted to and there's a couple chicks i talked to but in but then again, it's the sushi train. So yeah, no yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. No relationship cash. Nope. So I think, yeah, I think now it's it's given me the blessing is that it's given me is that I'm actually able to think about these things. Yes. A bit deeper, whereas if I was someone else, then it would just be like this assumed thing, like oh, I had I had a significant other when I was fourteen, and that's yeah. just life. But I guess I've been given the chance to like think deeper and be a bit more existential about this stuff. <laughs> yes. Where I've come from. Yes. So you've been able to see the frameworks that have been operating, how they've helped you in some ways, but also how they've inhibited you. And yeah. I, I guess one question is then, in this specific relational sexual realm of your journey and your life, what has, I suppose, a road that you've been like, where are you now? And what has that road to, I get, I don't want to say recovering, but I guess developing in that area, given that, I mean, the limited opportunity for development in the yeah. areas you, in the evangelical world you were in. Yeah, so I guess just kind of taking small steps to kind of come back to that place with like loving my own humanity. So little steps like, yeah, you know, just just even change my thinking around like masturbation and that sort of thing, seeing it as a good thing, or or just you know, yeah. um, if I do like connect with a girl, like that's cool, you know, and I, I just okay. I kind of have to take those like bite sized chunks off and be like, no, this is good, you know, and and kind of retrain my thought process or, you know, just kind of get back to that natural state. And, and, you know, Christianity is kind of like overly sexualized in itself. Purity culture is overly sexualized. So just doing stuff like at the beginning of the year, I like checked out a nudist resort and hung out for the day just to like get back in my body and like Jeez, be okay. That is some therapy. Tell me about yeah. that. That was just like, that was such a healing experience. Just hanging out with a bunch of people around a pool just chatting and it's like no one bats an eye and it's like, Oh, this is what it's like to just be human and, and not be sexualized and not even have to think about that. You know? So when you say yeah. purity culture is sexualized, that's an interesting way of putting it because I, I suppose that would be a term used by Christians about the secular world. It's overly yeah. sexualized because of the mm -hmm. expression of sexuality Whereas yeah. you're kind of using the same term and saying the repression of it is the is the fixation or focus on oh, yeah. sexual on on sexualization. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, 
I had a really funny moment, like one of these just kind of moments of clarity towards my end of, the end of my time at YWAM. It was uh, Christmas and we were having, um, having a beach day out at Port Stevens. And uh, we, I arrived there and the first thing I see is some like chick bathing topless. And then I like look over to the right and here's all the YWAM people wearing their one pieces and their shorts. And I'm like, yes. and if you look to the right, here's the cult. <laughs> interesting that... but but it's just that kind of thing where it's like it just looks awkward when the here's this part here's this woman to your left just naturally in her body sunbathing topless and then That's you ideal. here's the group of christians here like covering up every inch of themselves and it's like what's more sexualized interesting yes you know? and Oh, I've never, yeah, you've really flipped it, flipped the equation from this perspective to be, to be, well, that if you, if you had that question, what's more sexualized and had the two images there, yeah, I think almost everybody would go, ah, well, clearly the woman who's topless showing off and, and putting her sexual objects out there in, in some yeah. way, but that assumption when, if that's the answer as the assumption you're looking at the picture to and it's hard to say who knows what she was thinking uh whilst bathing topless but there's there's the other way of looking at it going she's just a human going ah like i just want to get some sun i just feel it feels nice and relaxing to just not have to wear a top like i i do it all the time um yeah and then you've got this other group of people going like folk like that to them is an act of sexualization or an act of sexuality whereas it that it does just it doesn't mean it is one of those. That's kind yeah, of what you're exactly. saying. You're like it's a judgment. No, no, you have that, that presupposition. You yeah, you've made it yeah. a a sexualized thing just by your perception, and so therefore mm. everything you look at has this has this lens. So it's like a created reality. Like maybe, yeah. I mean, that would be an interesting idea to explore with, like someone. I suppose from the quote unquote secular world, if you're, if you're coming from the Christian world to, to explore the idea of, of how much the, when Christians look at the outside world, they go, well, that's hyper-sexualized. And to be fair, it kind of is in the commodification and marketing as we've, as we've said multiple times, but is it as sexualized as they think it is? Or is it being interpreted more sexualized and sex obsessed as, as it is? Or because in some way, there is like I, I understand what you're saying. There does seem to be this obsession with sex on both sides. It is this bastion of like the symbol of women's freedom and liberation in the hypersexualization and commodification of these things. Like in the video clip, WAP coming out, it's like, yep, yeah, good on you, women, and and things like that. And there is that level of like, okay. Yeah, they can talk about sex, kind of all of those things, but it seems to be only in the realm of commodification and like selling a product. Um, but then the religious world is obsessed with it almost in, in at the same amount, but in a different way. It's like still central. Um, yeah. So yeah, it would be an interesting idea to explore, I suppose. So yeah. how long ago was YWAM for you? Um, so it was, it started in 2015, finished last year, mid last year. Mm. Yeah. So this is, yeah. I don't feel like this is pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's been a while, 
you know, a year and a half now to kind of process thing, process things and deconstruct things a bit. And I feel like now that I kind of have a bit of time behind me, I have some more clarity and I'm able to articulate this stuff more. But yeah, at first it was like a real confusing process of like all this stuff just got dumped on me. And it's such a fast paced, intense environment that, you know, you just need to take a step back and kind of look at things. Yeah, George's legend on on the live here. Purity culture can make every normal interaction sexual. It, it's an interesting thought to be like, you are, as a culture, because I, like I'm not here, I wouldn't even say I'm, I'd condemn it outright. Like, I haven't had any personal, fully negative experiences with it. Um, but it is, it is an interesting uh, perspective to explore on that level, being like, turning even normal interactions into into something that's sexual yeah and like i was saying with the whole you know not allowing girls or and guys to be in the same room alone together it kind of at a certain point programmed me to feel like if i was alone with a girl in a room like oh this is sexual and you feel like awkward and like interesting you know because of that i never thought of that the prohibition creates the taboo which makes it worse you know like that's very. I never. I never thought about that. It's almost priming you for things that does that don't exist. Like it's like you see a topless girl on the beach and you're thinking, oh, she must be like super sexual and want like sex. When in reality, she's like, no, I'm just in the sun because and I'm not. This is the furthest thing from my mind. So it's like both. I would say both pornography and purity culture have the same result with the, of that mindset. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. Well, there's your clickbait. That is a very interesting idea to explore. Like purity culture and porn are cut from the same cloth. And that cloth seems to be, in this rendering of it, hypersexualization of everything. One of one using repression and control, the other using exploitation and profit as its means of, of expression. Um, yeah, okay, so... Where do you where do you end up now? Because I get the sense that you you not you haven't thrown in the towel on I suppose Christianity or religion or these ideas altogether. Where do you find yourself? I suppose now and where and like what are you exploring at the moment? Yeah, I guess I kind of I went through a, about a year and a half of just like intense deconstruction podcasts, reading Richard Rohr, like all those all those sort of things, and just kind of exploring a lot of things and and um busting a lot of mixed conceptions that i've been given and just really tearing everything apart and i think Mm -hmm. this year as i've moved forward it's like that's kind of leveled out a bit and i'm just kind of trying to figure out where i am now because i you know i'm basically just trying to discover truth and is if something is true that it'll it'll stand on your own you don't really have to defend it so you know, from my experiences with, with the supernatural of, of things like prophetic words and and visions and dreams that have kind of had a deep impact on me and brought a, like, produce a lot of growth in me. Those are the kind of things that I cling on to. Mm-hmm. But if, if we're talking about a specific theological system, I'm like, I know historically Jesus was a real dude, but after I've learned what I have about the Bible and, you know, how accurate and reliable the Gospels are and the whole Bible in general, I'm like, 
Well, I don't know if all the things that are attributed to the person of Jesus are true, but all I have is my personal experiences with God, really. And so right. I, I don't necessarily have a theological, systematic theology now. Yeah. But it's like, I'm just going by the fact that I think God is, is love from what I've experienced and is and he's for me. Even using the word he now is weird. Like that's a bit right. of a, like, Why is that? You think well, like it's too narrow of a to gender something it's too narrow. Yeah, exactly. Cuz it's it's that whole idea that God is this like you know, God has personality because because of the in, the infiniteness that of of that reality and it's it's within that. But like I think thinking of of God as a dude is like too too dualistic like you know either you're talking to God or you're not either you're right. like you know um, pursuing relationship with God or you're not mm-hmm. but if you kind of move to that understanding of, of God being like the essence and the ground of being you know that that sort of idea the thing that the transcendence that holds everything together that yes has personality and has everything on the spectrum from female to male and all those things, you know, like I'm, I'm not a big fan of the whole pronouns thing and the, the identity politics, but I would say like, it's helpful for God um, to say like that God is non-binary, you know? Um, right. Not limited it, to yeah, some not, yeah. single yeah interesting yeah exactly and how does that help you i suppose like how how does this new way of viewing god and this new i guess openness and less limiting theological framework how does that how does that help you now in a way that your previous theology didn't i think it helps me actually appreciate the here and now helps me appreciate my humanity that like all of this is good like you know like you know richard Rohr says you know like the the creation story story starts with you know god created things and they were good and then you know not the other narrative like we're you know fleshly and and fallen and so just for me it really helps me to live in that space of like just living life like having barbecues drinking beer laughing that's that's all holy and that's all like part of all of this like the point of everything you know instead of having that totally getting rid of that sacred secular divide that i was raised with you know of like just living life to the fullest is is the point you know and not having to do all these christian culture things like it just feels awkward like you know to connect with god i always you always have to like play worship songs like that if that helps you that's cool or like you do all these christian culture things and it's like i just feel like those things were helpful for me for a while and it it brought me to a certain point of growth but now it's kind of like i'm i feel like i've grown out of that that box and that shell and it's kind of like well god's not the god of christianity he's the essence of the universe the god of the universe that was like one of the Towards my time at uh, the end of my time at YWAM, I, I prayed this prayer and I was like, God, I want to know you not as the Christian God, but as the God of the universe. 
that you know that's so much bigger than this this culture and this prescribed way of doing things like we do you know we do prayer and intercession and worship songs and all this stuff and it's like like this just seems like a culture to me you know and when you read the bible you have all this language of, of like the elders bowing down before the throne and all these angels and i'm like well what does that mean now like because if if we were to write scriptures now we probably wouldn't literally have that kind of imagery you know kingdom yeah yeah so it's like what is what is now like stripping away that kind of that language that ancient language around stuff it's like where is god in the here and now and today you know so sounds like that's still a journey Sounds like a bigger picture, like a bigger making room for including. It it sounds in contrast to you encountering yourself before you were shameful, not good enough, rejecting parts of yourself, rejecting parts of life, sexuality being a big, a big like illustrator for, for perhaps what was going on in, in other avenues of going like these parts of me must be rejected. And it sounds like as you expand this picture of a God, that if, if this God, if this idea of God being beyond everything is true. And if, if that, if we take, if you're taking that idea seriously, then the God you're describing, what does it look like to have a God that's, that is, that is, you know, the Christian language is like bigger than anything, bigger than we can imagine. And so you go, it sounds like you're saying, well, Christianity has imagined it. And so beyond imagination also for you looks like beyond specific prescribed Christianity. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what does that look like? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't really know yet, but I think it's, it's still formulating, you know? Yeah. Tell me about, I know you've written a song about this. Which I which I have, and well, I might play at the end of the episode. But um, tell like tell me ab- about it. Yeah, so there was just that growing tension where I felt like I just wanted to be free to just be me, to just be, not have some religious expectations. You know, I every month I had to write like create a video update and send back to my evangelical church to keep the donations coming you know and kind of keep looking like this christian thing you know i'm I'm out there you know making um you know winning battles for the gospel and all that stuff and you know constantly like i was a worship leader and i was like but i'm like this just isn't me like i want to be go somewhere get out of here out of this christian environment where I don't have any expectations on me to do all these Christian culture things and, and be all these things that people expect me to be. And um, so it's just that real cry where I, I was kind of in this, in this institution where I just wasn't really free to do that and to explore life and make mistakes and learn from them. And I was, instead I was being constricted and, and you know, kept sort of captive by rules and, and what rules do is they have, they have good intentions, but, you know, and they want to keep you from harm and, and that sort of thing. But what they ended up doing is, is just stunting your growth and, and um, you know, suffocating you. 
And so I felt like I hadn't been given the opportunity to go out, live life um, and kind of learn life lessons um, by having successes and failures and that sort of thing. It was like, all right, we have all these rules against alcohol and relationships and that sort of thing. And so it's to protect you. Mm. But I was like, I just want to like I'd been under this that repression like most of my life being raised in in Christianity. And that just kind of got to a point where I was like, I was desperate, desperate to get out of there. So I wrote this song toward my the end of my time at YWAM. Um, as just like a cry of desperation. Like, I, I want to be free. I just want to be free to not live with like a peanut gallery and judgment all the time. Mm. And people expecting me to be all these things. Mm-hmm. And it was like, myself and maybe only a few other people there could could really understand that and relate to that and it was like this thing where i just wanted to shake people and like do you not see how like restrictive and actually damaging this is even with your good intentions and it was kind of like this yeah this desperation of like wake up guys this is this is not chill you know this is hurting like hurting you yeah. on a i'm i'm hearing this tension between like the 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 world you operated within seemed to be at odds with who you felt you were and, and had to be. What would you say to someone who might hear this and they might hear this song and they might hear your journey and story and they might say something like, uh, you're just doing, you're just kind of rebelling against Christianity so that you can do what you want. So you can give into the sin or the flesh and you're just kind of doing it to, to, to just do what you want rather than what God wants. What would be your response to that person, I suppose? Well, there'd be a lot of things I'd, I would say, like define God's will. If you, I mean, right. it all yeah, depends okay. if you're an inerrantist yeah. or not, because when people quote Bible verses to me now, I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how would you, um, that, yeah. How would you like see that person if, if they saw you that way? I'd be like, oh, okay, you're, you're cool, but you have some more learning to do, you know, right. because I was that person. Like I used to believe okay. in the inerrancy of scripture. And it's like, you want to know what God thinks? Open the Bible. It's like, well, what would, not really what that would, simple. What would old Blair think of Blair now? What would like 16, 17 year old Blair think of? He's bloody lost the plot. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so well, you, I, like, I, I, I was, uh, I think like 16 or something. I got this message um, from this dude on YouTube. He was like a rapper trying to promote his music. And he like, you know, had this song all about weed. And he's like, yeah, I'm smoking. I'm getting blazed. And I was like, I sent him back in return, like this Christian hip hop song that was all about like condemning that stuff. Nice. Hit him with a hip hop. Speak to his level, man. Christian (laughs) rap will get him. (laughs) <laughs> That'll, he'll be like oh man like these beats have changed my ways <laughs> but then you know um fast forward like five years weed becomes legal in canada and i'm like getting a, getting amongst it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that kind of thing like i just my mindset is pretty opposite what it used to what it used to be mm-hmm. and interesting interesting so like how how I su- and you've probably already answered this, but how would you see Blair back then sending Christian rap to people? How would you? How do you see him now? Oh, you poor little thing! You have much, much to learn. You have, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just that thing, like, oh, just wait, 
just wait till you got get out in the world, buddy. Right. So you, you'd see him as just like existing in a very like safe world and you're almost saying like it's going to collapse. Like that little, that world can't exist forever, I suppose. Is that like a level of, I mean, do you miss it on some level, the safe security? Yeah. In some, like there's always mixture there? with it. There was some security and feeling like, you know, my, my salvation is secure and I'm, I'm part yeah. of the special club. Yeah, but I think the fact that it, it kind of separated me from the rest of the world and being able to relate to non-Christians, that kind of outweighs it for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't go back, you know. Mm. Um, now it's kind of like I don't have any certainty around my specific beliefs, but it's it's kind of that process of being growing more and more comfortable with that. And, and you're okay with that lack of certainty? Yeah, because I mean, there's only certain things you can know. Like, you know, if you drop something, it's going to land on the ground most of the time. So, hopefully. so, so yeah. why know? Why, why not know when you can know if that, if that sentence kind of makes sense? Why are you existing in this realm of unknowing, like cosmologically like eschatologically, like knowing what's happening at the end times. Like, why are you now existing in this world of like, listen, I don't like, I don't know, you know, exactly what God is. And I'm not sure why, why exist there rather than exist in the knowing that I suppose a formalized Christian theology can offer. I think it allows you to actually love other people more effectively and reach out to people on the same level. Um, have that idea that we're all in this together. Like there's nothing really that separates me from some random dude on the street. You know, it's like no longer like I'm right and everyone else there is wrong. It's kind of this, it levels the playing field and and allows us to kind of humbly connect, I guess. Why, why is that? You're you're saying that it's almost gives you more empathy for other people if you don't if you if you live in uncertainty rather than certainty is that what you're saying yeah i think that's i mean that's a complex complex issue i think i haven't really fully thought about that um but yeah i just before it was like there's this underlying evangelistic agenda of like everyone needs to get saved and so you can never really just have a conversation with someone I mean, you can, but you have this underlying feeling like you need to have this agenda, you know, instead of, you know, so. You can't connect with someone's humanity. Yeah, exactly. Without coming to them with a, at least a hidden goal or a hidden prerequisite saying, oh, I'm going to be your friend, but deep down I've got to, I've got to change your worldview. And it's almost like you're saying that makes, that made your relationships less genuine. Yeah, exactly. And so it made them it made them strong with Christians, but anyone outside that space, yeah, it's just a, a huge barrier. Interesting, because because you're, I guess you're describing like a very Jesus centered idea that says connect with your humanity, connect with your fellow human, connect with the Samaritan, the outsider, the one who is 
rejected by society and you're almost saying in order for me to truly do this to truly connect with my fellow humans i need to abandon my certainty because my certainty creates separates me from them interesting very interesting i'm just having the 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 idea that you know letting go of the idea of total objective truth like we have truth cornered and that's it that fundamentalist view but it's like i don't think truth is totally relative to the point where you just make it up and it's true yeah but having traveled and seen all sorts of cultures and experienced all sorts of people you just begin to see that everyone has a different angle on the truth a different perspective it's like we're all orbiting around the truth and we all see it in a different way and we all need to come together and kind of like discuss and learn from one another to get to get a fuller picture instead of like mm. not nah, that's it this western evangelical view is it everyone else is like they're demoniacs you know mm-hmm. you know they're all deceived right it, it it leads to some level of of judgment that condemns is what yeah. you're saying yeah exactly so i guess at the core of this it's just like trying to like what Jesus models really does, you know, um, hit home for me. And it's kind of what, what my core motivation is. I just like want to be present. Like the kingdom of God is, is here and now, and, you know, love your neighbor and that sort of thing. Like what else, you know, the whole Jesus thing just gets like caught up in this whole theological web. And it's like, you know, basically my understanding is that Jesus just, comes to flip religion on its head and be like, no, like God is forgiving. And this is what it means to be fully human. Essentially. Mm. Yeah. And to be fully human, to tie it back in is to not reject the parts of you, your humanity, like sexuality that has been labeled. Um, that either is labeled as pure object and commodity or also labeled as wholly dirty and evil. I guess, as a, as a, as a part of you. Hmm. I definitely think there's a lot of, a lot of ideas for people to sit with and digest, whether you agree or disagree, not the point at all. Hopefully you've been able to understand a bit of Blair's journey, some of his ideas. Blair, thanks so much for taking so much time to, to chat to us today and explore some of these ideas that, you know, where like it, like that you're working through and, and passing out. So, like, is there anything that you like want to add, or you might want to um, finish up with, or you've covered it? No, I think it, I think that sums up things pretty cool. well. Cool, cool, cool. Just, just being free to be me. Yeah, um, yeah. Myself space to walk the journey, and yeah, it's good. I'm living at a place now where you know, I no one really had any expectations of me, and I can kind of reinvent myself, which is. Nice. Uh, being in the physically different space no one really knows who Blair is You're like hey I'm Blair and now you just get to this blank slate of, of people to yeah to I'll, I'll jump to um, uh, Martin here on the live Instagram chat just sent through a question friend of the show Martin uh, have he says have you seen the kingdom of God now through people who have surprised you I'm wondering like oh I mean gosh <laughs> I think just generally I've, I've found more like empathy and openness in non-Christians than, than Christians. 
in general. Interesting. Like they're more about equality and, and acceptance and all those things than the Christians, you know. Or the Christians are preaching about love and acceptance, but then, you know, they don't let gays stack chairs <laughs> in the church. Like, you yes. know. All right. That's a challenging, like a challenging indictment to the religion that that models itself on loving the neighbor and following Jesus. That's a, yeah, that's definitely a challenging idea for us to sit with, whether you're Christian or not. Um, now, if you have made it this far through the episode, you got to tell me what I've missed. What did I miss? Probably lots of different things. So send me a question on Instagram when this episode is posted. Send me through a question that you wish I'd asked because I probably should have asked a lot, at just but just didn't. So make me better at my job. Send me a question that you wish I'd asked. And if you're still listening, it has now just become your moral duty. I don't know why. That's just the rules of podcasting. If you make it to the end of an episode and you hear this, you're like, damn. I mean, I guess I've listened for an hour and a half almost now. I better tell just like somebody about this podcast, rate and review it and tell, tell just one person, you know, maybe you can send them the most triggering episode. Be like, Hey, check out, check out this one. Um, so that, I mean, that's what you have to do by making it to the end of the episode. Uh, other than that, you can catch us on Instagram and you can follow our and follow and get involved there. You can join our new game. Uh, which, I don't know, we might go with the name for now, Confessions from the Armchair. You'll see my guests coming up. You can send through assumptions that you, you can confess your assumptions to me and I will politely put them to the guest, making me look bad and like a horrible judgmental person. Let's face it, we've got to be honest about these things because we do it. So thanks for tuning into this episode and for joining us live on Instagram and I will catch you in the next episode. I just wanna, I just wanna be free Without someone breathing down my spine Telling me how to be And I just wanna, I just wanna believe But I'm not satisfied with the things that you're saying to me Cause it doesn't look like love Oh It doesn't look like much Oh So what is the difference Between love and control It's when people listen And offer a All in a row Something is missing But it seems like nobody knows So I'm going home Tonight You have no home
So goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. I can't live a life, and I just want you. I just want you to see, but it's not getting through, and you're still fast asleep. So what are we under? Are we under a spell? Promising heaven, but then giving hell. Yet you're calling it freedom. With the promise that all is so well, there lies and I don't believe in. Is there just nice names for a prison cell? I can't live a life.